0: Thanks for worshiping with us this morning and those who are joining us online and those in traditions and in kindred, uh, welcome as well. You may or may not have heard the news yet, um, so uh, brace yourself for this if you have not heard the news. So it's been in e-news and it'll come out uh, even more this next week that starting next week, next week Memorial Day weekend, in the summer, we're going to one service. And part of the rationale for going to one service has nothing to do with numbers. It has to do with community. So we value uh, our vision is community and connecting uh, over anything else. So in the summer months, we know the attendance goes down a little bit. Some of you go to your lake homes and some miss here and there. And so, But here's what you need to know. This room will probably have a 1,000 people in it. So uh, make sure you get here and get a seat. And, uh, but we're super excited about it because we can all worship together. You will see faces you've never seen before because you didn't know they came to this church. And so we're excited about this. We did this all the time in Iowa and people absolutely loved it. So remember, next week, how many services? What time? Now some of you are like, how am I gonna learn a new time for worship service? Like I come at nine or I come at 1045. 10 o'clock, it's not that hard. Put it on your calendar right now even, like even before I start, just put down 10 o'clock as church or tell people around you so you can remember that. 6 p.m. in Kindred. So we have two services, one here, main campus, 10 o'clock, <clears throat> 6 p.m. in Kindred, second service. So if you miss the 10 a.m. service, if you're out of town or whatever, please join the folks in Kindred. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45 is where we're gonna be this morning. Mark 10, 35 through 45. We're in the series called Bless. <clears throat> and the question is, why are we doing this series called Bless? And the hope is this, the hope is that God's word will ignite and awaken in us an awareness of the unsaved people in our lives. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got some ushers coming down the aisles. They'd love to get one in your hands. And you can borrow it this morning, keep it, take it home if you need it. Mark 10, 35 through 45. <clears throat> to awaken in us the awareness of unsaved people in our lives. So, so far we've talked about the B, which means begin. Begin with prayer. And the idea there is that we would begin to seek the Lord and ask uh, who are the people around us that we can uh, be praying for. And then we talked about the L, which is just being able to listen to them. What are they saying to us? What are their needs? And then last week, we talked about the EAT, and that is uh, hanging out with sinners or just hanging out with them, figuring out times to do that. Today is the first S, and it stands for serve. So after we've prayed, we've listened, we hang out with them, we figure out a way. How do we serve them? How do we best serve them? Just prior to the passage that we are looking at this morning, we read that Jesus and his disciples, they were on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus pulls his disciples aside and tells them about what is to happen. So I'm gonna share with you what happens in context right before what we're looking at this morning. This is what he says to them. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise again. So Jesus tells his disciples some pretty heavy news. It was not only an announcement about his death, but everything that would be leading up to his death. Now you would think that there would have been a time of reflection for the disciples, right? After hearing that news, you think that they would hit the pause button and just kind of pondered all that Jesus was saying. Their response, as we'll see in just a minute, reminds me of a story of a woman who was traveling and she was away from home and she'd been gone a couple of days and she called home to her husband and said, how is Snuggles doing? And that was their cat. And uh, the husband replied to his wife and said, Snuggles is dead. (sighs) Wow. Snuggles was on the roof, fell off, died. And the wife said, well, you you could be a little bit more kind, a little bit uh, gentler than that. You could have just broke the news to me in pieces. You could have said, Snuggles had a great day. Snuggles was climbing a tree. Snuggles ended up on the roof. Snuggles jumped down and and accidentally uh, fell on something and died. And he took the news and he said, okay, I guess I could have done a better job. She said, anyway, how's my mom? And he says, she's on the roof. (laughs) He was very direct, just very um, blunt. And this is what the disciples said to Jesus, because Jesus just pours out his heart and he talks about his death and he he talks about all the things that are gonna be leading up to his death. And, And the disciples remind me sometimes of the husband in the story. The first point, if you're following along, is gonna be reject a self-promoting attitude. And we're gonna look at check for selfish ambition. Jesus just finished telling them what was about to happen and how he would suffer and ultimately die on a cross, and and how did they respond? Listen to this, beginning of verse 35. Then James and John, The sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They didn't take the time to reflect whatsoever what Jesus was saying to them. They didn't ask further questions to better understand. They didn't mirror back to Jesus what they were hearing him say. They didn't ask, can we pray for you, Jesus? Instead, what did they do? They didn't even take a breath. When you take a a group photo and then have a chance to look at it, what's the first thing you do? You look at you, right? The first thing you do is take your phone, you, you zoom out and you look at you. And how do you look? It doesn't matter if everyone else in the photo had their heads on backwards, it would not matter. If you look good, you are airdropping that photo to everybody in the room, right? It is true, it's true, we all do it. And the disciples right after hearing from Jesus did what many of us do, they only, they only thought about themselves. And they said, teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And and Jesus, out of politeness, says, okay, what is it you want me to do for you? I think that's a really, really funny way to ask a question. They, They set it up by saying, we want you to say yes before we ever tell you what it is we want. It's kind of like um, if you've had children or grandchildren, you've been around children, and they say, oh, please say yes, please say yes, please say yes, and they've never even asked what it is they want, and they want you to say yes to it before they ever say what it is. And that's what's happening here in this passage. They modeled for us a perfect example of selfish ambition. They were most concerned about who would be the greatest. Paul writes about this in Philippians 2, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What is selfish ambition? It can be understood as it's a motivation to elevate oneself or to put one's own interests before another person. It's it's a self above others approach. Vain conceit on the other hand means excessive pride or, or self esteem that has no foundation in reality. So vain conceit is an elevated and incorrect view of oneself. Therefore doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit means this, not letting our actions be motivated by selfishness and pride or one upmanship. Because those are things, friends, that keep us completely from being able to uh, listen to people, to pray for people, to to hang out with people, and ultimately to serve them. Those are the things that get in the way. So what's the opposite of this attitude? Again, Paul in Philippians 2 answers that question by saying, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It's learning to be others-focused and not self-focused. It's hard to be self-important when we're considering others as more important. I wish we could excuse away and write the disciples' attitude off as as a weakness. Kind of a what-were-you-thinking moment but not so, because the same discussion not only happened once, not only happened twice, but it happened three different times in scripture. The first time we see it is in Mark 9, 33 through 36. Listen to this, they came to Capernaum, which was in the house and he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? This is Jesus asking the disciples, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. That's what they've been arguing about. And then Jesus told them, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. The second time that it happened is what we're talking about today. And then the third time that it happened, it it came up again on the Thursday night that that when Jesus was being betrayed, the day before the crucifixion, can't believe it, Luke 22, 24 says this, a dispute also arose among them to which of them is the greatest. We read all of this about their incredible selfishness and think, what is wrong with these people? And as we'll see in a second discussion that we're looking at today about who is the greatest from the passage, there is a contrast, and here's the contrast that's taken place. The contrast is between humility and the sickness of pride that runs so deep in all of us. Pride is what keeps us so focused on ourselves that we fail to serve others and only serve ourselves. The contrast is evident throughout scripture. Proverbs teaches us that God hates pride and that it's a sin in the heart. First John teaches us that pride is a characteristic of the world. James says pride alienates us from God, yet God gives grace to the humble. In Micah, we learned that God requires humility. And in Psalms, it says God hears the humble. And the New Testament points us to put on humility, to be clothed with humility, to walk in humility. But humility is up against the foundation of pride. All sin and all temptation in our lives begins there with pride, leading us to be self-centered and self-promoting. And so now we now know why Jesus was having such a, a, a difficult time getting the apostles to understand true spiritual greatness. Two of them were so focused on the kingdom of God. Yes, they were focused on the kingdom of God, but they they viewed it as as an opportunity or a place of power and position. And that's why they were saying to Jesus, hey, in the kingdom of God, can, can one of us sit here and one of us sit there? They have sacrificed a great deal for Jesus. And now it's as though they're saying, we want a reward. So to sum up these first three verses, Jesus says to them, I'm going to die for you. And they respond with, I want the best reward in the highest position. Their pride pride oozed out of them. Humility was a foreign word. They were being incredibly selfish. I would think this would be so disheartening, you, you would think, was Jesus thinking, have you not learned anything that I've taught you in the last three and a half years? A quick side note, there's more happening here than what meets the eye. I didn't know this, but I learned it this week. The Gospels also mentioned that their mother, James and John, their mother also came to Jesus on their behalf with the same request. And I think, come on James and John come on your mama your mama bear stepping in for you coming to Jesus and saying hey can one of my sons sit here and the other one said here we learned that her name is Salome and because we know her name John mentions that she is the sister of Jesus mother So the mother of James and John who who were requesting this greatness was actually Jesus' aunt. And I think, well, way to pull the family card, right? Uh, This is a family matter that we're seeing here. So so not only were these two at the transfiguration, not only were they a part of the inner circle of, of the three, but their mom was mother Mary's sister, Surely all of this together could get them something. Surely they would be greater than everyone else. Did they think that Jesus owed them something? And when I thought about that, I had to ask myself the question, do I think Jesus owes me something? Do my my prayers reflect in such a way that I think and I'm praying as though Jesus owes me something. What about you? Maybe we just don't say it, but do we think it? Selfish ambition is, a, is this major roadblock and huge deterrent for us to live as a servant. How could we ever serve people around us, unbelievers, if we have this selfish ambition, self-promotion going on? We're learning to be challenged to pray, to listen, to hang out with sinners and, and serve, none of which is possible if we're so consumed with an attitude of this selfish ambition. It just won't happen. All of this to say it is impossible to serve those around us if we're always self-serving. Still under number one, check for arrogant overconfidence. And it's verses 38 through 41. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. And this is what he said to him. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said this, we can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Again, really nothing new here. all you have to do is turn on the TV and you hear this, this constant chatter, this constant language about the GOAT, the greatest of all time. No matter what it is you're listening to, it seems like people not afraid to say that I am the best, I am the greatest of all time, or, or a sports team that says, uh, we are the greatest of all t- time, we're that good. Um, or I would say even this, just scroll through Facebook and see how many people uh, post stuff with the underlying motivation to be seen or, or to, be, to look good. There is no doubt that the number one reason that people say, I'm going to take a break from social media or this hiatus from social media, because it sends uh, such a confusing message. People's lives seem so perfect. And people arrogantly present themselves in creative ways, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, to get people to notice them. Look at me. Our society is arrogantly overconfident. James and John, in their pride, they not only think that they should, but they are the only ones who could sit on the immediate right and the immediate left of Jesus. Where there is smoke, there is fire. Where there is prideful vomit, there is arrogance. So Jesus checked in with them to make sure they know, do you know exactly what you're asking for here? He said, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And of course, they answered, of course we can. Both of these references Jesus asked about had everything to do with his suffering. Drinking from the cup meant to fully absorb and experience something. The cup had to do with God's wrath. Remember later, Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. Do you remember that? When he's like, if, if, if this is possible, um, can this cup pass from me? Meaning, God, let your wrath not be upon me. And then followed by, but not my will, your will be done. So Jesus was asking him, hey, hey boys, uh, do you think you can handle all that is yet to come? Can you drink the cup of God's fury? Secondly, can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? It means to go all the way under. Are you able to suffer and be drowned in persecution? And so to summarize, this is what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus asked them, are you able to drink in the suffering and be submerged in it? Because that's what you're asking. If you want the glory and you want the reward, do you know what you're saying? Let's just be clear is kind of what Jesus is saying. And a symbol, just like Peter who said, I will never disown you, Jesus. Only to disown him three times. Say, I don't know who he is. Never seen him, don't know him. You see, they wanted all the glory And then we read later, they ran for their lives when the trial actually came. You will drink the cup, Jesus said, that I drink, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Jesus said, oh, that suffering thing that we're talking about, you will have that. You will have a chance to drink in the full cup and be submerged in suffering. James was the first martyr meaning that he died for the cause of Christ. John was the last. A martyr is someone who dies for the cause of Christ, but James had his head cut off, and John was in prison, if you remember, to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Who will be the ones to sit on my right and left? Jesus said, only the Father knows the answer to that. Many will say, I can handle it, Because God will never give me more than I can handle. Only a false teacher would ever say that. I doubt James and John could handle what was being dished out in their suffering all on their own. There's no way. They needed the comfort and they needed the strength of God. They needed God to help carry the burden that they were dealt. And so do we. In our arrogant overconfidence, we think that we are ready and able. And when I say, "Is praise God, he doesn't give us or allow us to experience more than he can handle. And all of this to say, it is impossible to serve those around us if we are arrogantly overconfident. In our weakness, we learn to lean on God. I hope that you're learning that. How can we be a servant of other people with an attitude that says, I can handle life all on my own? I wonder sometimes when people look at my life, do they think, wow, he can handle life all on his own? Or when people look at my life, do they say, he can't handle life all on his own? I see him leaning really hard on God. Secondly, accept a self-denying attitude. Verses 42 through 45, it says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. So Jesus, hearing James and John knows right away that he needs to regroup, needs to get them back together to remind them of what they already know and teach them about obviously what they don't know. And he starts really by asking them, where have you seen this attitude before? That's kind of what he's asking, where have you seen this? As though to say, you know the answer to this one. And the rulers, that they were familiar with were ambitious. They were self-promoting. They were confident, arrogant, self-exalting, domineering. So Jesus is saying, you've seen this before. They lord it over them, meaning they gain mastery over people. They want to be at the top and do whatever it takes to get there. This is how they lead. In verse 43, and he says this, not so with you, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You, meaning the people of the kingdom. The pagan approach works in the world, but not in the kingdom of God. Jesus was teaching them that that the great are not who you think. They are not the cutthroaters. They are not those who climb over people, those who manipulate their way or abuse their way or demand their way or expect their way. That's not who they are. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to them. The great, if you want to be great, the great are the ones who are my servants. So Jesus was redefining greatness. Whoever wishes to be great must be a servant. He's saying, my way is the opposite of the world's way. The word servant means table waiter, or to be a waiter. Whoever wants to be great has to be a table waiter. It's to say, don't be the person everyone serves. Be the person who serves everyone. Through and in Christ, Give people what they need as you listen to them. Verse 44, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. So the attitude it takes to serve people is this, consider everybody a person to be served. But again, he doesn't stop there. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life. As a ransom for many. The greatest service was exhibited by Christ. Jesus didn't come to be served. He was not like the other kings that they would have been familiar with. Jesus is not like the other rulers. It's hard to imagine just how low Jesus went for us. Jesus didn't come like other kings to be served, he came to serve, the greatest sacrifice gets the greatest glory. To serve others well, reject a self-promoting attitude and accept a self-denying attitude. But the one thing that I wanna leave you with this week is this, serve someone this week. Figure out who to serve this week.